This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I am your host, E. Spencer Kite. Joined again this week, I know the intro says your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite, but Chappie's laid up right now. He is, he's honestly just a big pile of not really fitting well together bones and he's working on all of that so shout out to Chappie I hope you get better soon but it feels like so far this year my co-host has been the man joining me again this week my punch drunk predictions partner in crime Patrick Sviklinski good to have you back man welcome back to the show thanks a lot brother always happy to be here and uh ready to talk some uh MMA here yeah I don't know if we're gonna go as far as to get Adam Hunter, who is the voice you hear on that intro, to change the intro as of yet. But uh, maybe we'll see if we can't throw some graphics up at some point that, you know, spray paints your name on on the picture whenever we put one of these live. Um, an apology to listeners for the last couple of weeks. We had some technical difficulties while I was down in Las Vegas in getting one up. Last week I was sick. You can still hear it a little bit. I'm still fighting the tail end of a cold. That's what happens when you live in a climate where it has rained, I think, for 47 straight days now. Oh, it's rained It's rained a, a little too much for my liking. That's that's for sure. <laughs> it, I mean, and, and the funny thing is, I mean, I was still out. We took the dog out for a hike today and stuff like that. I will still go and do the rain because, to me, rain is better than, you know, the polar vortex that blew into Toronto for, for All-Star Weekend over the weekend but one of the sort of downsides is colds just kind of linger because you never quite get rid of them and they just come back right when you think you've got it kicked but that's why I sound a little bit stuffed up a little bit plugged up hopefully you will bear with uh, bear with us and uh the conversation is still good enough to keep you interested even if the voice isn't So this week on the show, a few things that we want to talk about. Uh, Obviously, we will get into this weekend's event Sunday at UFC Fight Night. Cowboy versus Cowboy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's taken some hits over the last couple of weeks. We will get into all of that and still continue to preview the show. We will close out today's episode by talking just a little bit about sort of the UFC pay-per-view structure, the way they are laying out their events so far this year and whether that's something we see continuing, whether that's something they'll be able to maintain. But I think the best place for us to start, Pat, is just to get into the news of Monday, which was that Aljamain Sterling and Alistair Overeem both re-signed with the UFC. Um, the Reem broke the news, I believe, on Twitter and then went on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani and confirmed. That's where Aljo broke his news as well. Um, I said as we were sort of prepping to get started that neither surprised me, but you said you were caught off guard a little bit by the Overeem news. How come? Yeah, um, I guess, you know, uh, it goes back to sort of 
maybe a, a personal idea of, of, of what I think, you know, Overeem, um, you know, sort of uh, represents in the MMA world. You know, I always thought of him as, as this kind of guy who's a kind of mercenary who, you know, comes in and, and fights for promotions that, you know, pay him the best offer. And um, I, I was a little surprised that uh, he was going to carry on with the UFC. I mean, I, I saw him being a fit, uh, a fit over in a promotion like Bellator where, you know, they're trying to grow heavyweight stars. And, you know, the addition of Overeem would have been a would have been a big one. His relationship with Scott Coker, um, you know, is something that, um, you know, I was, I was sort of looking at as, you know, maybe an indicator that he could potentially go there. Um, another, you know, avenue that I saw him, you know, going into would be, you know, one FC in Asia, given his, you know, background with pride and how big of a star he still is in, in Asia. And then those circles, um, I was, uh, I was a little bit surprised that, you know, um, that he decided to stay with the UFC. I mean, He's obviously serious about a about a title shot, um, and and I think that that's going to be on the horizon for him now with this new deal. And uh, it's a it's a move that is, uh, um, you know, a good one by the UFC to retain a guy with as much star power as Alistair Overeem. You know, especially in that heavyweight division where you know we're seeing a lot of injury problems and we're seeing you know guys drop out. Um, can Cain Velasquez, you know, all these um, guys sort of getting hurt around, um, you know, that heavyweight division and just having a healthy Overeem in there, that makes a huge difference for sure for Dana White to have, uh, you know, that big star power at his disposal. We joked on this show in the past sort of once Overeem's contract, once he fought out that last fight of his contract, which was his victory over Junior Dos Santos in December in Orlando that he had the potential to just sort of go to the highest bidder, that maybe he would be the guy that Risen Fighting Federation decides to just throw a whole pile of money at to fight Fedor down the line to get that fight that we've yet to see. Um, and as you said, maybe a 1FC or, or some of these other organizations reach out to him. I think, but for me, I always thought the UFC made the most sense for him because he is on a three-fight winning streak because he is in, to me, the best form of at least his last several years, sort of post, obviously, the Brock Lesnar victory and and what we all sort of associate as the no longer on-performance-enhancing drugs version of Alistair Overeem, sort of the unswollen version of the Ream. Um, he had that rough patch when he came back, losing to Bigfoot Silva, losing to Travis Brown, losing to Ben Rothwell with a victory over Frank Mir in there. He has looked very good of late, which coincides with his move and teaming up with the guys at the Jackson Wing Academy in Albuquerque. And to me, with him being at number three in the division, which is, you know, rankings are weird. He's ahead of Ben Rothwell, who beat him and is on a longer winning streak, but that's what you get for having media-voted rankings. But for him to be on that run and for him to be in this position coming off a victory over Junior Dos Santos and with the UFC going to Amsterdam for the first time, this made a lot of sense to me. It's where I thought he would end up. It's where he has maybe not the greatest opportunity financially because I'm sure some of these other promotions could have given him a larger one-off paycheck, but it has the most opportunity for 
that significant career milestone and achievement that he's yet to accomplish, which is the UFC heavyweight title. When he came into the organization, he sort of was heralded as this guy that was going to challenge for the title, beats Brock Lesnar, a former champion. It looks like he's on his way. We get sort of the build-up to him versus Junior Dos Santos at UFC 146, which then falls apart, and he's just now starting to get back to that point, I believe still a fight away, um, but he's closer than he's been. And so to leave that on the table and go somewhere else for, for strictly monetary gains or, you know, because of a relationship with Scott Coker just didn't necessarily make sense to me. So I'm glad to see him back. I think you are as well. As you said, the heavyweight division right now, it's both the best it's been and most intriguing it's been in a while with three guys that have yet to challenge for the title, all in contention with Overeem, Rothwell, and Stipe Miocic. But at the same time, we've seen a lot of sameness in the division, with guys being able to just kind of stick around near the top. Junior Dos Santos coming off that loss, booked right back into a main event fight with one of those contenders, Ben Rothwell, in Zagreb, Croatia later this year. And so I think keeping Overeem in that fold, as you said... Gives Dana White, the UFC, Joe Silva, some more options. Gives us another established, recognizable name. It would not surprise me one bit to see him headline that show in Amsterdam. Um, and if he gets a win, depending on who it's against, maybe fight for the title later this year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he's right on the cusp. And, and what um, I guess was sort of, uh, you know, real telling for me in, in this sort of uh, re-signing with the UFC for, for Overeem was that, um, you know, like I was saying earlier, I mean, that he is very serious about, about fighting for that title. I mean, you know, Overeem's always been sort of, um, kind of an enigmatic figure at times, you know, um, the, the sort of question, you know, around his commitment, you know, when he was in, uh, Florida there for a little while, um, you know, there, there were questions about sort of, his sort of commitment to 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 the game and and how you know far he was willing to go to get that title shot so i think that you know for him to sort of sit down weigh all those options because i think there definitely were options you know on the table for, for a guy like overeem i'm sure he had very you know lucrative offers from other promotions but for him to sit wherever he was sitting or standing or whatever he was doing uh to to look at all those options and say I still want to be the best in the UFC. That says a lot about, you know, um, Overeem, I think. And it says a lot about his commitment now that, you know, he's gone back to his, you know, sort of winning ways. And we've seen in a lot of ways, you know, more sort of uh, humble and toned down version of Overeem uh, in his last couple of fights. And, and working with, you know, Greg Jackson uh, down in, you know, Albuquerque has certainly made him, you know, uh, a a more technical fighter and, and kind of, um, tightened up, you know, areas of his game where he left himself open perhaps. And I think it's, you know, it's just a sort of, um, a move that just shows his maturity level at, you know, this, you know, stage in the game, he's a veteran and, you know, I think he's thinking a lot about legacy as well. Um, at this point, in time. So I think it's a, you know, it's a great move by the UFC. It's a great move for Overeem and um excited to see him fight again. And I, I think that fight in uh, Amsterdam is, like you said, a great uh, opportunity to kick off his new contract. 
I'm going to put you on the spot, which now that you've been on the show pretty regularly this year mm-hmm. and as of late, you should be used to by now. Knowing what we know about the current sort of matchups in the division, what we believe to be happening with the heavyweight title with Fabricio Verdum and Stipe Miocic, who would you match Overeem up with in this next fight, whenever his next fight is, whether it's in Rotterdam or whether it's somewhere else? And is it win that and he's next in line? Yeah, well, uh, it's... It's kind of a tricky position, I guess. You know, um, you have you have a guy like Ben Rothwell already fighting uh, Junior DeSantos, so that that makes things really kind of weird for me in that division. You know, you have uh, DeSantos who Overeem just beat, and then you have Rothwell who has beaten Overeem. Um, you got those two guys fighting, and then you have you know obviously um, the the talk about Stipe and, and Fabricio fighting. Depending on what happens with with Kane, I think it's interesting. Um, you know, we'll we'll see. Um, you know, how quickly he's able to get back, or, or will he be able to even get back in time? I could see him fighting. You know, Kane at some point, but I think you know a fight that would make sense that would you know actually turn you know some some eyes maybe um, in Amsterdam would be. Uh, you know, a fight with him and, and another veteran guy like Andre Arlovsky. I mean, Arlovsky's obviously coming off a loss, um, you know, in his last fight to to uh, to Stipe. But uh, it's a it's a fight, you know, exciting kind of fight that you could put together and a great headlining fight on a, on a Fox card for sure. Um, two big names, recognizable names, and two guys who are actually you know big time European stars. So. Um, I think that would be an interesting matchup. You put Arlovsky and Overeem, you know, uh, in a matchup. Obviously, you know, it's not necessarily a fight that, um, you know, really does much for Overeem to push him over the edge. But the thing is, in the in the heavyweight division, it doesn't really, you know, matter all that much. It seems what number you beat, as long as you're, you know, sort of consistently winning, you can make a case for a title shot in that division. And I have to agree with you. I mean, I think it'll be very interesting to sort of know when Cain Velasquez is going to be cleared and ready to return. Um, I don't think that's a fight that you can obviously put on. I mean, you can put any fight on any platform whatsoever, but I don't think the UFC is going to to burn an Alistair Overeem King Velasquez fight as the main event of what I assume would be a fight pass show in Rotterdam. Amsterdam later this year. I believe that fight comes up in early May. So for me, I agree with if if he's going to be a part of that show in the Netherlands, then to me, I agree with you that, that Arlovsky makes the most sense, even though he's coming off the loss to Stipe Miocic. He was on a nice run before that. It would be too quick to turn Mark Hunt or Frank Mir around, and, and obviously Mir has already faced Overeem and lost, so there's no not necessarily a purpose in running that one back. I do think if Velasquez has the opportunity to return sort of in those summer months of June, July, and August, it might be worth holding on to Overeem to have that fight, use that fight as sort of, I don't want to say next in line because I think Ben Rothwell has already done enough to merit consideration. And if he goes out and starches Junior Dos Santos or go-go chokes him the way he has the last two guys he's faced, I think it's hard to deny him that opportunity. 
but at least have that marquee heavyweight fight potential of Overeem and Velasquez, depending on how things play out at the top and with, with Rothwell there as an option. But as you said, it's going to be really interesting to see. There are some options. That is nice. That is part of what's what's great about the division right now. And And I do agree with you that who you beat and sort of we're seeing lately that wins and losses in a guy coming off a knockout loss like Andre Arlovsky doesn't necessarily preclude him from some of these marquee matchups because the UFC is focusing more on the names as opposed to necessarily just the results. So we'll shift from Alistair Overeem to the other free agent that that made news today. We're taping on Monday. It's the Keyboard Kamara podcast on Province Sports Radio. Spencer Kite and Patrick Sviklinski. And that man is Aljamain Sterling, the funk master, the human anaconda, um, many other nicknames. Just follow him on Twitter and you will hear about 14 or 15 over the course of a week. He is a great follow. He is very entertaining. Aljo, to me, another guy that that it absolutely made sense for him to return to the UFC. I think this is the deepest, most robust bantamweight division there is in the sport. I think he is a guy at 26 years old, 12-0, and 0, coming off back-to-back submission finishes of top 10 opponents that the UFC needed to retain. And for Sterling, it made sense for him to go back to the UFC and and provided that there wasn't a ridiculously better offer out there or something that, you know, is truly life-changing available to him, this feels like the place for him to be because he's able to compete against the best in the world and continue trying to make his case and and proving what he has said, that he is already the best in the world. He just needs a chance to show it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this was, a, you know, a great... Um, great resigning by the UFC and, and the one that I think made the most sense to me in terms of having a, you know, a young bantamweight like, uh, Sterling on the roster at 26 years old, you know, he's, he's got so much upside and three straight finishes in his last, you know, three fights and undefeated, um, you know, guys like that are important to have in the division. And, and especially now, you know, with, you know, the recent title change with, with Cruz now as the champion again, um, you know, you have Dillashaw floating around there, um, you know, without a fight right now, it seems that, that, that division might go the, the Faber Cruz, uh, three route. Um, you know, who, who knows when, when Cruz will be, you know, available again, but, you know, it makes for a lot of interesting matchups in that, in that division, you know, you got Rafael Sansao, um, kind of the forgotten member of that, uh, top five there, but, I think this was the, you know, right move for, for Sterling as well. You know, he wants to make a name for himself um, against the best guys, the very best guys. And if you're going to do that, you have to look, you, you, you don't need to look any further than that, you know, bantamweight division in the UFC. You know, it's, it's pretty stacked with a lot of great talent, um, you know, guys who um, are, are top tier fighters. And I think Aljamain Sterling is another one of those guys who, has just so much upside, you know, so versatile in his, in his, you know, um, abilities and, and he's just growing and still getting better. So when you have an opportunity, um, you know, to re-sign a guy like that, you definitely want to take advantage of that because, you know, I think 
um, the the most important thing is growing talent and developing talent within your own organization. And if you have, you know, a guy like Sterling on the roster, it just makes, you know, that whole division that much stronger. And you have so many more options uh, to put, you know, um, fights together with a guy like that. And I, I just think it's a great signing overall. And I think that uh, he's going to be an exciting fighter in that division for years to come. There have been people pointing out today in the wake of the signing that, you know, Bellator isn't focused on building their 135-pound weight class, talking about how, you know, Joe Warren is the biggest draw they have in that division, and Joe Warren's already 40 years old. We've seen him get beaten, so on and so forth. They're focusing their energies elsewhere. And that part is very much true. They didn't make a big play for Aljamain Sterling services. But World Series of Fighting... He's, I mean, according to Aljo, he said on, on Ariel's show today, on Monday, you know, World Series of Fighting was second. They, of course, have Marlon Moraes as their champion in the bantamweight division, who has looked great, um, makes good money, is doing big things for them. I understand that part of the argument, and I understand people making sure that that point is is spoken, but part of it to me always just feels like the reason that Bellator and some of these other organizations maybe aren't focusing on 35 as much as, as they could is because all of the talent is already in, or the majority of the talent is already in the UFC. And so as a fighter like Aljamain Sterling, you're going to still want to go for the most part where you're going to get that competition. Like if you can go if you can get the money you're looking for and compete against the very best in the world, that's going to win to me. And and I've talked to Aljo about sort of his expectations and what he's looking to do in this sport. Um, last year, sort of during that week when he was in Las Vegas for his fight with Johnny Eduardo, and he wants to be the best. He wants to prove himself to be the best. And to do that, fair or not, all of us in the media, all of us as fans recognize the UFC as the be-all to end-all. Otherwise, we would be talking about Ben Askren maybe being the best welterweight in the world because ain't nobody beaten that guy yet. But yeah. but he's not in the UFC, and so it doesn't carry as much value to us that he's over in one one FC beating guys and, and dominating. And so I think for Sterling, as you said, this is absolutely the right move. It puts him back amongst the very best 35ers in the world there are multiple options. I'm not going to put you on the spot of who he should fight next or when he should fight next. Um, I have a piece, by the time people hear this, it will be up on Keyboard Kimura coming out about this, just talking about how now that he's re-signed, I think the key is for the UFC to make sure that they give Aljo the opportunity to really shine and to potentially grow into that star that a lot of us, myself included, envision him being because whether they will ever admit it, whether, you know, anyone will officially say that he got buried in that fight with Johnny Eduardo. Mm -hmm. That boy got buried in that fight against Johnny Eduardo because there were three <laughs> shows in Las Vegas on back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back days, and he was on the preliminary portion of the Fight Pass show when even putting him on the prelims of the next night puts him in front of 800,000 people on, on FS1. So... I just hope that going forward, he gets the opportunity to shine and he gets matchup, a matchup that makes sense and a platform that makes sense, given whatever money they have just spent on him, 
given the fact that he's a charismatic, talented 26-year-old with an unblemished record coming from a great gym at the Saralongo fight team in New York. And, and he gets that chance to try to be everything that he's, you know, talked about wanting to be and has the potential to be. Yeah. One other thing, you know, just to add to that, I mean, I, I love it. You know, I love to see when a guy, you know, um, doesn't, doesn't get too greedy, you know, um, you know, obviously you need to get paid what you're worth, but he wanted to compete, you know, with the best organization and, you know, not go for an opportunity. Like you said, you know, maybe with world series of fighting, perhaps they were offering a more lucrative deal. Who knows? I, I'm not sure, but I like to see a guy, you know, it, it, it says a lot about him to, you know, come back and, and, um, take, take the opportunity when it's there with the UFC. I mean, you know, he is still trying to prove himself. He's still looking, you know, for that signature win in his career. And I, I think this is just the next platform for him to sort of get that, you know, top five matchup that he's looking for, I'm sure. And, uh, I, I just really like his attitude coming in and, and recognizing that, listen, the UFC is the best place and I need to go in there and, and compete with those top guys, uh, you know, instead of just running and taking the money over here, you know? Yeah. And financial details weren't released as of yet, or at least I didn't see them or hear them. Next time he fights in Las Vegas, we will most likely learn what his win and show purse were, or at least his show purse. Um, but I agree as, as long to me, it's, it always comes down to if the fighter is satisfied with the wage they're earning. And listen, before I say this, I will say that I think all fighters should be paid more money. I think they should be, you know, I would love to see them all earn an annual salary, but that opens a whole new can of worms for the UFC that they are definitely not going to get into. That being said, as long as Sterling or any other free agent fighter is satisfied with the combination of of things that they're presented in terms of financial compensation, opportunities, you know, as Ben Henderson was talking about with, with his signing with Bellator, he's got some outside the cage stuff that they're going to let him do in terms of continuing to compete in jiu-jitsu tournaments that I know he likes to do and, and triathlons and things of that nature. As long as the athlete is satisfied with what they're getting and they've gone through the process to a point where they're happy, all of us talking about it and criticizing or picking it apart is really just a moot point because that dude had the opportunity to hold out for more money, to maybe try to go somewhere else. Maybe this, he ended up getting, you know, the most that was on the table and it wasn't all that he wanted from the UFC, but he's back and he's ready to compete. And, and all he can do from here is, is go forward and continue to prove his worth, continue to show what he's worth and, and really, you know, fight through this contract and try to earn more in the cage. And, and that's just really the way that professional sports and athletics works more often than not. So it's the Keyboard Kimura podcast here on Province Sports Radio. I am E. Spencer Kite, joined by Patrick Sviklinski. We've covered the free agents, and now it's time to turn our attention to the great state of Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh in particular, where Sunday night at the Console Energy Center, UFC Fight Night 83, a.k.a. Fight Night Cowboy versus Cowboy, goes down. And when you and I were sort of texting back and forth of, of a little bit of the rundown of this show, 
and mentioned that this would be something that we would talk about, and I believe your response was Pittsburgh, ugh, rough. <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. I'm, I'm just going to run through the list of changes that we have had, and then I will let you start wherever you would like. So this show, when originally announced, was supposed to be Donald Cowboy Cerrone making his UFC welterweight debut against the Dirty Bird, Tim Means. Tim Means gets flagged for a potential USADA out-of-competition violation. He is replaced the next day by the Brazilian cowboy, Alex Oliveira, which gives us our Cowboy vs. Cowboy headliner. Sam Alvey was supposed to fight Daniel Serafian. He suffered a broken jaw. He has since been replaced by Oluwale Bemboche. Brian Barbarina was supposed to fight Jonathan Webb. As we remember, Sage Northcutt's opponent, Andrew Holbrook, for the Fox show a couple weeks back, got hurt. Barbarina moves into that fight. He has been replaced by Nathan Coy. Kelowna, BC's Sarah Morris, supposed to take on Lauren Murphy. A couple days ago, Morris has to pull out Lauren Murphy. As of this broadcast, as of this recording, currently waiting on a replacement. Um, Brandon Thatch and Sayer Bahadurzada were supposed to be on this card, but... Thatch wasn't able to get clearance for a medication that he needs to take. And so that fight has been moved two weeks back to UFC 196. We get up this morning and find out that John Lineker has got dengue fever. So he will not be fighting Cody Garbrandt. And then as well, Trevor Smith has been pulled out of his fight um, against Leonardo Augusto Guimaraes due to a hand injury. This whole show has just been clobbered, and it's sadly the second time that Pittsburgh has hosted an event and dealt with a lot of changes. Is it maybe just time to not go to Pittsburgh? <laughs> well, who is fighting on this card uh, after after that list? That's what I want to know, outside of Cowboy and Cowboy. I mean. so, so still on the card, we have Cowboy and Cowboy in the main event. Co-main is a middleweight contest between Derek Brunson and Hohen Carnero. We've got featherweights Dennis Bermudez and Tetsuya Kawajiri. We've got Chris Camozzi and Joe Riggs. James Krause taking on another BC boy, Shane Campbell. Um, Alex Garcia, who is sort of a transplanted Canadian, trains out of TriStar in Montreal, taking on Sean Strickland. And I think we touched on all the other ones, except Marion Renault taking on Ash Ashley Evans-Smith on the fight pass prelims. But you're right. There's not a lot left. Um, it sucks because this started as a pretty interesting, really potential to be a super fun fight night card. And now it feels like no matter what happens, it's just going to be remembered as the card that fell apart. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's an unfortunate thing how this sort of, uh, you know, card played out, um, you know, I, I mean, I think the fans in Pittsburgh, you know, obviously deserve a, a great show, um, as you said, you know, coming off that last one there. And, you know, I still think it's a, it's a, it's going to be a fun fight. You got Cerrone there um, against the Brazilian Cowboy. So Cowboy versus Cowboy is, I think, going to be an interesting fight. And also to add to that, um, you know, Cerrone is still fighting at welterweight. So I'm intrigued. Um you know, genuinely intrigued to see how he's sort of going to look at 170 pounds uh, coming in here um, and fighting against his uh, Brazilian counterpart. So, 
you know, there's still some, uh, you know, interesting fights on here. You know, Bermudez, Kawajiri, that's that's another one of those uh, featherweight fights that I think is uh, quite intriguing. Two guys, you know, who are still, you know, kind of trying to make their mark. You know, they're top tier uh, 145ers, but still still trying to, you know, get into that upper, upper echelon of the division. Um, and, you know, uh, Derek Brunson, I'm excited to see his evolution, you know, as a middleweight. He has... Uh, you know, uh, done very well in his last few fights, you know, finishing Ed Herman and Sam Alvey. Um, he had that win over Lorenz Larkin um, at UFC 177. There are some fights here that are still uh, very intriguing. Uh, you know, it's not exactly what uh, was originally in place, but, you know, you have to sort of um, roll with the punches, so to speak. Um, you know, it, it's not always going to be perfect. Injuries are a part of the game, as we both know very well. Um, and that's just how things go sometimes. But I think, you know, in a situation like this, instead of, you know, as a fan, you know, being like, oh, well, you know, th- this isn't happening or, you know, Lineker's out and Tim Means is gone and, uh, you know, um, instead of having, you know, that attitude, you, you kind of have to look at the card and kind of see, you know, what's there that, you know, could be, you know, kind of interesting and compelling. And there's still some good fights on here, I think, Um you know, as you mentioned, you know, Shane Campbell, Kelowna's own, he's fighting uh, James Krause. You know, that's another interesting fight to me. And, and you got Garcia, the transplanted Canadian, as you said, fighting Sean Strickland. There's there's some fights here that, you know, have some mustard and I think have the potential to be interesting. And the other thing with a card like this is, you know, these guys, they know exactly what they're getting into when they go to Pittsburgh. They know this card has taken some hits. They know that you know, people are going to be sort of coming in there with uh, with an attitude of not to expect much. Well, this is an opportunity for those guys who are still on this card to show out, to make a really, you know, uh, great show on Fox Sports 1 and to to come in there and, and you know, um, put on great performances. And I think that, you know, that's how you get the, you know, fans to sort of get on your side is – just by putting on those um, strong performances and going out there and competing, we know what you know a guy like Cerrone brings to the table, and uh, you know even the Brazilian cowboy Oliveira, for that matter. You know those guys are you know um, you know fighters and and you know rock 'em sock 'em style. So like I'm I'm just interested in seeing you know now that we've seen what kind of hits this card has taken. Well, okay. What are the guys who are remaining on the card? What are they going to bring to the table? The ironic thing in all of this, of course, is that the last time the UFC was in Pittsburgh, June twenty sixth, twenty eleven, we had a similar situation where the main event fell apart the day before. Nate Marquardt uh, didn't gain medical clearance. His testosterone levels were too high um, to allow him to fight. He gets pulled, replaced by Charlie Brenneman. Brenneman goes out and beats Rick Story, who was on this great run, was coming off a victory over Tiago Alves to sort of put himself into the top five, top seven at welterweight for the first time. Brenneman comes in, mop top a hair, Pittsburgh, sort of Pennsylvania native, upsets the apple cart. And then it was closed out by the new main event of Pat Barry and Chet Congo, which turned into one of the craziest two minute and 39 second slobber knockers in UFC history, Matt Mitrione was on that card, earned a second round TKO 
KO victory over Christian Moorcraft. It ended up being an entertaining card, which to me speaks to what you're talking about, about these guys are still, everybody that's still left is going to go into the octagon and give it everything that they intended to give it when all the fights were on this card, and probably a little bit more, knowing that, as you said, this is a chance for them to show out. This is an opportunity for them to to sort of prove why they shouldn't be discounted and why they shouldn't be discredited when all of these injuries take place. I'm all for lamenting the loss of what looked like a surefire bantamweight slobber knocker between John Lineker and Cody Nolove Garbrandt. That was one of my favorite, most anticipated fights of this opening quarter of 2016. And to lose it, you know, a week before because of something crazy like dengue fever really sucks. But as you said, this is part of the game. This is something that happens to these fight cards on a regular basis. You roll with what's left. It's not the marquee names. It's not the big fights that we were originally expecting. And and none of them were great big fights. But there were a bunch of fights that held interest. I, like you, still interested in seeing Cowboy Cerrone at welterweight. I think Alex Oliveira is a tough matchup because he is a guy, as you said, that's grizzled and is going to get out there and just sling with him and and be willing to stand in the pocket and trade. So I think that's going to be fun. I think the middleweight co-main between Brunson and and Jukau is going to be entertaining as well. Um, Jukau came back, got a submission win over Mark Munoz in his return. Brunson won three in a row, I believe five and one in the UFC. Um, A guy that, to me probably deserves a little bit more attention at middleweight, but hasn't gotten it yet because he hasn't had one of those really signature standout victories free from being on some other cards where he gets overshadowed. So this is an opportunity for him. Dennis Bermudez was knocking on the door at featherweight not too long ago. He's hit some some rough spots against Jeremy Stevens and Ricardo Lamas, but a win over Kawajiri, who has looked good, puts him right back in the mix. And so on down the line. And I, I do think we are going to get some entertaining fights. I don't think we need to go through one by one and break them down. But if you had to pick sort of two fights that, that are really slept on on this card, that on a card that a lot of people, let's be honest, are probably going to say, you know what, it's Sunday. It's had all these these injuries. It's not the card it was going to be. I'm going to pass. If you could pick two fights that you think are really going to impress, what would they be? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, um, one of the ones that you touched on definitely is the uh, Bermudez-Kawajiri fight. Um, I think that, you know, those guys are are two uh, featherweights who are circling right at the very top and both, you know, still very much, uh, you know, in in the conversation for, for a title shot in that division at some point. You know, if they're able to you know, uh, get some wins together here for, for Kawajiri, you know, it's an opportunity for him to win, you know, over a, a marquee name in the UFC. You know, he already has a win over Dennis Seaver, um, but another win over a guy like Dennis Bermudez, that does a lot for him. You know, that'll put him at four and one in the UFC, uh, um, you know, and, and he has a, you know, extensive background, obviously in Japan, um, for Bermudez, a win over a guy like Kawajiri, that does a lot for him as well and, and puts him right back into that conversation, that, that top 10 right there. And, and um, you know, he, he can definitely, um, 
kind of work off that momentum. You know, he's he's still in that top ten, but he seems more like of a you know a bit of an outside figure right now, coming off those two losses. But that's a fight that I think both guys, you know, they know what's at stake. And um, I think it's going to be one of those fights that we're going to see the best of 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 both guys. Um, that's that's one of the fights that I'm very excited for. Um, the other fight that I'm uh, kind of interesting, uh, interested in seeing how it's going to play out is, you know, as you mentioned as well, the, that co-main event with Bronson and and Carner, uh, Carnero. Um, you know, Brunson is, is like you said, he's a slept on guy in that metal middleweight division. His only loss in the UFC has come to Yoel Romero, who, you know, we know, uh, what Yoel Romero, uh, you know, is he's, he's a, you know, giant imposing figure who scares the living crap out of everybody. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, he was, he was solid in strike force as well. Only loss he suffered there. You know, he suffered a split decision loss to Kendall Grove at show fight, but then, uh, you know, had that KO loss to Jacare. Um, but outside of, you know, his few losses there, he's looked very good in the UFC, especially, um, the, the one loss that he had to Romero, I don't think is a knock on his record. Um, so I'm excited to see what Brunson can bring. Uh, to the table because he's one of those guys in that division that you know I think still has a lot to offer and who has constantly actually still been improving um you know we've seen him finish guys as of late and I think you know it'll be interesting to see if that trend continues and if he can get a win you know in Pittsburgh that goes a long way in getting him maybe that top 10 opponent that he's looking for well and you look at the division this is a weight class where, and and I say this with all due respect to Tim Kennedy, but Tim Kennedy, who hasn't fought in 18 months, is currently ranked number five, which just is equal parts maddening because the UFC rushes to pull people from the rankings at certain points, and then Tim Kennedy cannot fight since losing to Yoel Romero in September 2014 and remain in the rankings and, and hold down the fifth spot. But you look at sort of that top 10 and even the top 15, Brunson sits at number 13. There's an opportunity for him with the right matchups and a couple of victories to quickly make his way into that upper tier in this division. Just based on sort of you look at some of the matchups that are coming up, you look at some of the guys ahead of them. It's not necessarily this group of imposing guys like you would have at, say, you know, welterweight right now where there's you know johnny Hendricks is number five so a former world champion is at number five number five in middleweight is tim kennedy i don't disparage tim kennedy i think he's a great fighter but he hasn't fought in a year and a half and so the room is there for brunson to move up obviously that pertains to hoan carnero as well if he gets a victory and continues to move forward the one fight for me that i'm really looking forward to and i think it's more one fighter as opposed to the fight itself. Um, Jonathan Webb is a guy, I picked him to beat Kyle Noak when he made his short notice debut. Um, he and Noak were actually training together at the time that Jonathan Webb got the call down at the BMF ranch with Cowboy Cerrone. Um, he kind of looked at Noak and was like, hey man, this is my opportunity to get in the UFC. Noak gave him a high five, said absolutely dude, you gotta take it. I look forward to getting in there with you. I thought he beat him I think this is very much a winnable fight for him against Nathan Soul, Soul Force Koi. Um, and I think Jonathan Webb is a, is a dude that I don't think he's going to be a champion in the UFC, but I think he's someone that can move up and be a middle of the pack consistent fighter in the middleweight division or in the welterweight division, sorry, for the UFC going forward. So I'm looking forward to seeing him 
get a second chance. Ultimately with this card though, I think it is, as we have talked about, just one of those events where the expectations have to be reduced. The expectations have to be dialed back. And so there's a chance for guys to really exceed expectations going into this. Hopefully it plays out that way because nothing is worse than the day after a mediocre fight card listening to everybody say, see, this is why the UFC, it's so watered down. There's too many. Listen, this card got savaged by injuries. There's no way around it. There could be no other fights for the next three weeks. And these guys still would have gotten hurt and pulled from this card. So sit down and watch it if you want. Enjoy it. I think it's going to be entertaining. What else have you got going on on Sunday afternoon? I know there's some shows coming back on on HBO later in the evening. DVR it even. Stay up late and watch it. Watch it when you get home from work on Monday. Don't just dismiss it, though. That's that's my at-the-fan rant for this week. <laughs> so we'll get into the final segment of our show here on the Keyboard Kamora Podcast on Province Sports Radio. As we talked about off the top, we wanted to talk a little bit about sort of just the way the UFC is stacking up these pay-per-view shows. Obviously, we saw it a couple of times in 2015 with UFC 189. UFC 187 was supposed to be as well. Obviously, John Jones falling out of that for legal reasons sort of changed the dynamic of that card a little bit. Still featured two title fights. Uh, UFC 189 was a big event. We had the show in Australia, 193, and then 194 in Las Vegas the following month. Also a two-title fight, massive event. This year coming up next month, or in a couple of weeks' time actually, UFC 196, the Dos Anjos McGregor with Holman Tate fight card, and then UFC 197 as well, Cormier Jones 2 with DJ and Henry Cejudo as the co-main event. I guess my first question to you, Pat, is, is this something that the UFC should continue trying to do while they can? And then secondly, is it sustainable? Or do you foresee a point somewhere in the summer or fall where it's like, we just don't have any more title fights because Conor McGregor has three belts and other guys are hurt? Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, as far as, you know, whether I think it's a awesome idea by the UFC, I I genuinely do. I love that they're, you know, putting on a show like DeSanjos McGregor and then having Holman Tate as that co-main event. Um, I think it only, you know, does, you know, more for for a champion like Holm who's so talented and and so good and and elevates, you know, her name on a card that's, you know, already, you know, you don't have to do anything really uh, as far as marketing yourself when you have Conor McGregor headlining the the card. And that, that's just a fact. Um, I, I love the idea of having those, you know, two title fights um, on a card and stacking it that way. It, um, you know, the, the way that the UFC is doing it, I, you know, from what, from what I can see, and I guess from my, you know, um, you know, idea of things here is, you know, that they're putting that big headliner fight that, you know, the, the, the mainstream fan will want to see. And then they're saying, Hey, here in the co-main event, you know, which is a championship fight as well, uh, home versus Tate, or, you know, uh, in the case of 197, it'll be Cejudo and, and Mighty Mouse. They're saying, you know, these are fantastic fights as well. 
So you're getting that big mainstream headliner fight that everyone's going to be talking about and everyone's going to be watching, but you also get this amazing fight between two phenomenal fighters. So I love the idea of just having those two um, you know, title fights at the very top of the card. Um, I was a fan of it last year when they did it, um, you know, and uh, I'm a fan of it this year. Um, sustainability, though, <laughs> you know, uh, that's a whole different thing. Um, and you mentioned that, and I think rightfully so, because they they might run into a problem, which is very likely, you know, given sort of the nature of the sport, where, uh, you know, a few months down the line, we'll get into, you know, late summer and fall, and some of these guys are going to be still recovering from, you know, brutal title fights that happen, you know, around this time or around the spring, um, you know, John Jones and, and Daniel Cormier's coming up, you know, obviously we just talked about McGregor to Sanchez, um, you know, and, and you have suddenly, I think an issue with, uh, you know, getting, um, you know, those guys healthy in time so that they can turn around and, and show up, you know, and headline their own cards eventually. Cause obviously you'd want, you know, uh, someone like Holm probably, you know, headlining a, a fight potentially with Ronda down the line, um, hopefully later this year, um, if if she were to get through Misha Tate. Um, but yeah, like, like you know, you uh, sort of touched on that. The sustainability issue is, is really a, a tricky one, I think, for the UFC. And as much as, you know, we the fans are getting spoiled with these beautiful, you know, uh, awesome posters and promotions of, this title fight and this title fight um, in the long run, I don't know if it's, it's the most, uh, you know, sustainable thing uh, to do because just, you know, having, you know, those title fights put on one card, it, it kind of takes away, you know, perhaps from other cards that the UFC wants to do. But um, at the same time, you know, um, I, I would, you know, I'm, I've always been sort of a, a, a fan of the UFC kind of dialing, you know, uh, it back with their pay-per-view cards in terms of not, not the fact that, you know, um, you know, it's overloaded or anything, but, you know, I think that the pay-per-view cards, you keep them special like this with, you know, with these awesome two title fights and you keep, you know, the fans really, really engaged and, and interested in that. And I, you know, that's something that I strongly believe in. I mean, I love the Fox cards as well. You get a lot of great fights on those, but, I think the pay-per-view cards should be reserved for those big special events. And when I say big special events, I don't mean just that headlining fight. Uh, it's got to be a fun, deep card too. So when you have something like 196 coming up and you look at that card and you're like, wow, I want to spend $60 or whatever on that card, um, you know, it's a no-brainer. So I think that that is, um, you know, a great idea by the UFC just – having those two title fights and you're making it easier on the casual fan to say, I'm going to dish out this money on this card. I agree with you. I'm, I'm a fan of load it up, blow it out as, as long as you can, as frequently as you can. Exact same reason that you said it gives fans a greater reason to purchase a pay-per-view to then, you know, get introduced to some of the people that are on those, on those main cards on those pay-per-view cards alongside the big names, you get an opportunity, as we're going to see at UFC 197, where Demetrius Johnson 
doesn't have to be responsible for carrying a pay-per-view and listening to those same criticisms about, well, he doesn't sell, he doesn't draw. He gets to play, you know, table setter to the light heavyweight title rematch. Um, The tough part, the questionable sort of, you know, is it going to be sustainable? You look at going back over the last seven months, starting with the November show in Australia through to May, um, where we expect Fabricio Verdum and, and Stipe Miocic to fight for the heavyweight title. Every UFC championship will have been defended or on the line in that seven-month stretch. That makes for a great stretch of fights for fans. Makes it very challenging to maintain when you're looking sort of beyond June, July, into August and the fall. As you said, just sort of wondering when guys are going to be available, knocking on wood that everybody comes away from their fights healthy and are able to return and continue fighting at this sort of fairly regular clip that you're not burning people out and and left down in the fall with, you know, events that don't have any marquee names because you have loaded up so much. But I, I agree with you, and, and as a guy that, you know, I'm fortunate to get to go and cover a lot of these pay-per-view events, it does make them bigger. You have a bigger feel. There is a very much different buzz to these major events in Las Vegas or wherever they may be than, say, going to UFC 192 in Houston or UFC 191 in Las Vegas where DJ headlined against John Dodson in their second fight. It's not the same as 194 was, as 196 and 197 are going to be. And I think the way the UFC is doing things presently and should continue to do things is, as you said, make them into events, make them must-see attractions, build weeks around them where you can, like we saw in December um, with the three different nights of fights, I believe they're going to do that again in July as well, around UFC 200, um, which is when we'll see Joanna Janjacek come back against Claudia Gadelia. They're coaching the Ultimate Fighter. And so do it as much as you can to return the UFC as, as you know, as hokey as this may sound, return it to that pageantry that it carried for such a long time for so many of us where we had that anticipation of the pay-per-view events. Doesn't mean you have to scale back all the other cards, but if those ones that cost people money aren't worth the money, then they're not going to buy them. And that's sort of where the UFC still draws a lot of its business, makes a lot of its revenue. And so make them as big and as special as you can until you reach a point where you just run out of fighters. Yeah. And like you were saying, I mean, you know, if it's must-see TV, then people, you know, just just flock to it. So I think that, you know, a uh, perfect example of this UFC 196 card, obviously, um, with McGregor on it, that, that makes it, you know, intriguing enough on its own that you're like, hey, well, let me check this out. And then you see, you know, there's all these, you know, good fights on this card. Um, I think it only, you know, is beneficial for, for the UFC. And like you said, I mean, I hope they can sustain it as long as possible and keep trying to go for these, uh, you know, big, big pay-per-view cards because, you know, it's just good for the sport. I believe, uh, overall, when you have people talking about a big event like this in advance and people getting excited for it, even, you know, with the quick turnaround, uh, that, you know, McGregor and Dos Santos both had 
um, from their fights not not too long ago. I mean, you know, there hasn't been uh, a whole lot of time for the UFC to, you know, aggressively market this fight, but there's already so much buzz around this thing. I mean, obviously a lot of that maybe is Connor, but um, I think the the fact that you have, you know, such a, such a great headlining fight and then you have, you know, such an awesome co-main event, you know, it just it just creates the buzz on its own among the fans and they're like, hey, I'm interested, I want to see this thing. I want to dish out the money to see it. So um, it's only a good thing, you know, and uh, I hope they can continue it uh, as, as, as long as they can. Yeah, you look at UFC 196, there are 12 fights currently announced for that fight card. Obviously, the champion versus champion bout is the headliner with Holly Holm and Misha Tate behind that. Nothing else on the card is, is you know, really earth-shattering. There are some good matchups, some some fights between ranked competitors, some fights between veteran names like Diego Sanchez and Jim Miller are facing off. Um, Gian Vellante and the Sledgehammer, Ilir Latifi are fighting. That Brandon Thatch, Sayur Bahar-Dazada fight that we talked about from Pittsburgh has been shuffled there. But just as you said, because Conor McGregor is there, because it's a dual title fight pay-per-view, you're going to draw people in. And that gives people a chance to see People like Amanda Nunez fighting Valentina Shevchenko, who beat Sarah Kaufman in her debut. That's a pivotal fight in a division where the champion and, and number one contender are competing on the same card. It's a chance for people to see Brandon Thatch and Sayur Bahadur Zada, um, easy for me to say. It's a chance for people to see Corey Anderson, a former tough winner, who's won a couple fights to creep into close to the top 10 in light heavyweight. And so if they can continue to do that, I think it's the way to go. Is it even better when they can have events like UFC 194 where top to bottom it was just lights out and there was no way, no excuse for missing that show? Absolutely. Those events are going to be sort of one or two a year. Um, but if they can do shows like this where it's it's big fights, it's got a big atmosphere, it's got that feel... And it's going to draw people in to showcase some of these other people. To me, keep doing it as much as, yes, you have to look at the future and you want to try to prevent yourself from putting yourself in a position where you're running out of fighters and you don't have anybody there. You also can't just make everything... To me, it's it's that you can't make everything good at the expense of leaving something potentially great on the table. And so go with these big shows, do 196, do 197, which just added Yair Rodriguez and Andre Feely to the docket as well. Another fight I'm super stoked about for this summer. Do them up, do them big, deal with, you know, July and August and September as they get close. I'm sure somebody will stay healthy. I'm sure there will be people healthy and ready to defend their titles. So I'm with you. Keep doing it up. Do it as big as you can for as long as you can, especially because I get to go and see them. (laughs) That's going to be it for the show this week, though, guys. Thank you for tuning in, for checking us out. As I said at the top, apologize for being out of your lives for a couple of weeks. Pat and I will be doing this regularly Every week, we will book Mondays with each other to do this consistently so that you get this product every week. Do us a favor. Subscribe on iTunes 
or SoundCloud or Stitcher or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating. Give us a review. We greatly appreciate it. Even if you think we're awful, just tell us that we're awful. Let there be something on our iTunes page that says somebody actually contributed time and energy to telling us how crappy we are. Um, if you think we're great, tell us we're great. We appreciate that. Um, just continue listening. We, it, it means the world to us. We, we would do this anyways, but to know that there are people out there paying attention and enjoying it, we greatly appreciate it. Shout out to my man, Joe Daddy in H-Town. I know he's listening every week. Sorry for leaving you with only like 96 other podcasts to listen to over the la- these last two weeks. We will be back regularly going forward. Pat, what's up with you? Where can people follow you? When can people next see you whip my ass in the punch drunk predictions? <laughs> yeah, we got uh, we got some punch drunk predictions uh, coming up here on uh, Friday ahead of uh, the uh, Pittsburgh event. Friday or Saturday, since this event is on uh, on a Sunday. I guess whenever we get it up, uh, we'll uh, let you know via Twitter. And that's why it's important to follow me at. Pat Trinsky at P-A-T-C-W-I-K-L-I-N-S-K-I. I know I had to make it super difficult for the people to follow me. Um, that's my excuse to myself why I don't have as many followers as I'd like to have. Um, but, uh, yeah, check me out on Twitter, and uh, I'll be continuing with the uh, Punch Trunk Connections and hopefully have some more uh, stories down the pipe here uh, for the province in the upcoming weeks here. He will be back with me, continuing to beat me in the Punch Drunk Predictions this weekend, heading into Pittsburgh, and then the UFC London event after that, and then UFC 196 after that as well. I will tag him so that you don't have to remember what his Twitter handle is and how to spell it, because it is complex, it is difficult. I will talk to him about changing it to something like Patty Quicks, Um, but until he does that, You can follow me. I'm always going to promote his stuff because he is my boy, and I greatly appreciate him doing this this week and every week. As for me, I am still at Spencer Kite, K-Y-T-E on the last name. I am still at theprovince.com slash MMA blog with Keyboard Kimura, and we will be right back here next week, I promise you, with another edition of the Keyboard Kimura podcast. Until then, enjoy the fights. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com, follow them on Twitter at Keyboard Kimura, or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboardkimura. Kimura.